welcome to the evolution of parenting. I'm Yorona. And I'm Robert. And we're both advanced certified life coaches who met during our certification program. Through our coaching sessions, we connected as parents from two different perspectives. Robert, who's the parent of adult children, and myself, I'm the parent of a five-year-old. We both recognize that the role of parenting never stops, but it does change. In fact, it has to change. But if we've developed a strong and healthy relationship with boundaries and a strong sense of autonomy, we will remain with our children forever, long after we're gone. So what makes this podcast unique? Well, it's the stories that come from our parenting experiences and our perspectives that each of us have, as well as our backgrounds in child development and education. Each episode will explore a different topic related to parenting. We hope to give you, the listeners, some insight and takeaways and how you can relate this to your experience as a parent. This episode is going to be dedicated to the idea of autonomy and personal self-control, what that means to each of us in our own roles as parents, the stories we have to share about this idea, and our personal takes on each other's stories and the lessons we've learned. So when we talk a lot about autonomy and independence, they are interconnected, but they're also different. They're different. Um, independence is all about the ability to do for yourself, like the ability to get yourself dressed, the independent choices that we make without other people around us, like what we're going to eat for dinner and things of that nature. Um, you know, if we're independently driving a vehicle, if we're independently, uh, you know, walking down a street, Whereas autonomy and that self-control is all about the choices that we're making for ourselves. And even the mistakes we make in those choices, we as autonomous beings have a unique identity. And that element of separateness with, between us and other people is what makes us truly autonomous and responsible for ourselves and ultimately only ourselves at the end of the day. What we want to share with you are a couple of stories first. So I, I like to tell this story because when we first, when Robert and I first started talking about um, doing these episodes, the thing that came to me was the story of the first time I started to let Connor get out of the car and go to the front door of our house by himself. So when he was little, you know, of course, we would get him out of the, the car seat, get him out of, you know, the vehicle, hold his hand the whole way, walking to the front door. And as we did this, I started to give Connor a lot of awareness about what was going on around him. It's important to hold his mommy's hand. It's important to go straight to the door. It's important because you don't want to risk your safety, you know, just kind of giving him that understanding from a child's perspective of the dangers of just wandering off. Um, and as we did that, I started to then encourage him to go to the front door. I would do little things like, you know, oh, who can get to the door first? Oh, can you take mommy's key and try to put it into the lock? Oh, um, what are we going to do when we get inside? You know, not just encouraging him, but getting him excited for the idea of getting into the house. And these were all my methods to encourage him in that direct pathway and which would automatically then discourage him from kind of running into the street. <laughs> and 
I started then to carefully let go of his hand and do that encouragement without holding his hand. Now, my husband, I will tell you, was really freaked out by this. He's like, you don't know. What if he runs off into the street? What if da, 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 da? And I'm like, well, he's not a wild animal. So first off, but also we have to let go of his hand despite our fears. We have to encourage him to do the thing that keeps him safe because one day we're not going to be there to hold his hand. And one day he's going to have to figure out how to deal with his own safety and his own stuff himself. What I didn't really understand and what really grasped until more recent conversations between myself and, and Robert was that I was encouraging his independence, his ability to get to the door by himself. But it was a little bit less about autonomy because as I started to think about his autonomy, I started to realize, well, it was about the choices. Now, he could choose which way he got to the front door, meaning like, was he going to go around the car this way or was he going to go around the car that way? Was he going <laughs> to circle the tree in our front yard first? Was he going to go behind the bushes? <laughs> it was really cute. you know. And that was where his autonomy in the path that he took to get to the door was there. But the independence aspect is the ability to. But then I realized the first moment of his true autonomy was when he picked out his own clothes for himself to wear. Uh, and it, I didn't care if it was matching or not. <laughs> I have a really adorable story. I love to tell this story because I think it's just the epitome of, of autonomy, but it also kind of bumps into some other things that we'll talk about. But one day last summer, he was four and my sister and I were taking him to Barnes and Noble. And he decided he wanted to wear his PJs and he wanted to wear his construction vest, his construction Love hat, Love and it. his Mickey slippers. It was Perfect. so cute. I can picture it in my head. I, and I said to him, I'm like, okay, so the only thing I, I said, I have the one concern is that your Mickey slippers here, your slippers are usually worn in the house and we don't wear dirty shoes around the house. Yeah. So Connor, if you walk outside with those slippers, those are going to be your outdoor slippers and you won't be able to wear your Mickey slippers around the house. Are mm -hmm. you okay with that? Mm -hmm. And he said, yes, mommy, I'm okay with that. So I said, okay, it's not wet outside. So your feet aren't going to get wet on the ground. Okay. All right. You know, I told him all of those little things that make up the decision-making process of, of planning your clothes. <laughs> and I said, let's go. And we went. And I will tell you, of course, him being four, people were like, that is so cute. I love your outfit. It was really adorable. Yeah. But in that moment, I really kind of got a better understanding of like, that was his autonomous decision. Mm -hmm. He had full self-control. He knew how to get himself dressed. Now it was really about what he wanted to dress. Yeah. And it was his choice. It felt good. It yeah. felt good. And he still does that. He picks out his clothes. They don't always match. Sometimes he wears two <laughs> different shoes. It was very funny. My husband says to him, he's like, you're wearing two different shoes, Connor. And Connor's like, okay. And he's like, are you sure you want to wear two different shoes? He, and I was like, well, the, the style was exactly the same. It was just the pattern of the shoes that was different. So I said, so they're not going to like give an unequal balance or anything like right. that, you know, as some styles do. I said, you guys left shoe on his left foot and his right shoe on his right shoe. But what does it matter? And so I will did. tell you, it was so cute because he went to school that day and everybody was like, Connor, do you know you're wearing two different shoes? And he was like, yep. And he was so proud of it. I love it. I love it when, as parents, we state the obvious with the idea of changing our child's mind and they don't change their mind. They're like, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. I love it. 
that's a that's great that's and it, i can tell you that that also plays out when they get older we had um so my story is when we were the kids were early elementary we moved overseas and we lived overseas a long time and in that time we had a, a chance to travel a lot and we traveled maybe every three months we went to a different place whether it was from germany or from china and obviously we took the kids with us and this instilled in them an opportunity or a desire i should say to also travel themselves especially globally and they do so our older kids um, have traveled. Uh, my son and his wife have taken two long trips to Asia by themselves. My daughter's traveled to almost every continent now, either by herself or with a friend or in a group. And my youngest is working as well. He's still in college, so he's he's got to get to the point where he can pay for his own travel before yeah. he really gets to that. <laughs> but what what I, what resonated with me in your story were these little things that we tried to do along the way that got them to that point. It's not like we sat them down and we watched a TED talk or a YouTube video on how to plan travel as an adult. When we traveled when they were younger, either with us or when they traveled with their sports teams and we were chaperones, we would make sure that they understood what the airport or the subway station or the train station or the taxi stand, what it was about, how it worked. We might be in an airport and we would say, Hey, if you were traveling by yourself and you didn't know what gate your flight was taking off from, how would you find out? And mm. at first, of course, they don't know. And we would tell them if you got lost in the airport, how would you get your way, you know, find your way through it? Um, if your flight got canceled, what would you do? Because you're by yourself. We're not with you. We can't go up and take care of that for you. And it wasn't that they were doing it at that point. We were just creating this awareness similar to what you were doing, right? With, with the shoes like, hey, it's it's outdoor shoes or it's indoor slippers, right? It's, it's one or the other. And then, so it, it, it created in them the ability to travel on their own. And when they turned around 14 to 16, we made sure that all of our kids flew by themselves mm -hmm. domestically. We didn't send them overseas by themselves at that age. Uh, not as accompanied minors, but, you know, by themselves. Um, we helped them buy their ticket. And they had to, we dropped them at the airport. They had to check in, get to the gate, go through security, do all the things. Um, and then they let us know when they got there on the other end. Uh, and, and so this created in them an opportunity to feel confident that without mom and dad, I can choose because I kind of know what's going on. And they've made some choices that we might not have made for them. But they had some amazing experiences as a result. And we get to enjoy their, you know, the memories and the stories they tell when they come back. How do you feel about the choices that they made that where you were like, eh, we might not have made that choice ourselves, but well, it's it's interesting because Holly and I, you know, at the stage we are and the you know, kind of the socioeconomic stage that we're at, we don't stay in the places that we used to stay. Uh, that might be a, a little bit on the less expensive side. Like we sometimes yeah. treat ourselves, right? right. Uh, but because they're funding their own trips, they're perfectly comfortable staying in places that um, that are fine. There's nothing wrong with them, but they don't necessarily see the need to upgrade. <laughs> like Holly yeah. might want to upgrade now that we're like, okay, you know, I, I, yeah, I really need that uh, two bedroom suite instead of that um, studio. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not really so much the places because we're mostly familiar with the places they go uh, with the exception of our older daughter who's traveled to uh, Peru and Italy and places that Holly and I have not gone 
Uh, so there is anxiety there about, oh my gosh, she's going, what's going to happen? I don't know this place. I don't know people who live in this place. Right. What if, what if, what if, what if? But again, to contrast the independence, the ability to do it right. and the ability to make the choice are yeah. slightly different. They're related, but they're slightly different. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting because you brought up the whole the fear about that, you know, as your daughter's traveling and that fear. And I think that that's really important for us as parents to to talk about, because this is where it all starts. As a parent, you're you're fearful of the choices your kids are going to make for themselves, because what if something happens to them? Right. What if they. What if they get hurt? What if they are, you know, get, God forbid, something really, really excessively bad happens to them? You know, like there's, there's this, there's this fear. And the problem is we can't rationalize with fear. No. I said this so many times as a parent coach, as, as in my field and working with parents, rationalizing with fear is kind of pointless. <laughs> We kind of just have to say our fear is there. Right. It's going to be there. And yet we still have to recognize that what's more important is our children's ability to function on their own right. and make their own choices. Right. Because one day we're not going to be here. And right. when we're not here, they're going to be doing all that without our input at all. Absolutely. So the fear is kind of just, it's it's not rational and it's based in this place of, it creates a paralysis as a parent, mm -hmm. right? If yeah. if we have as parents are so fearful, like you know, my husband was of letting go of Connor's hand to get him to the to the front door, he would have restricted Connor's ability to grow into the confidence to have to get to the door by himself, right. and then the autonomy had to explore how to get there, you know, right. um, and and run around the tree and you know wave to the neighbor and like you know all of these cute adorable things that he feels confident doing mm -hmm. now you know and i think that this is something that so many parents get locked into that that fear and fear paralysis yeah i think there's a lot of fear and one of the fears in, in specifically is just the fear of regret we don't want to regret things we don't want to regret bad choices we don't want to regret missed opportunities we don't want to regret uh chances to have done something that might have prevented or 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 created the opportunity for them to do something either way and so we get this this regret uh, in there and, and you hear it all the time when when something does happen and you see the parents being interviewed is there's this just this overwhelming sense of i if i had only done something if i had only done x or y then this might not have happened and that's not necessarily true but that fear of regret is is really hard if we don't see regret as an opportunity to look back on the way we make decisions mm -hmm. and maybe change the way we make decisions regret can be a tool yes um, in a catastrophic situation a situation regret is regret i get it right. but it can also be a tool if my daughter goes to peru and her group goes to Machu Picchu and they don't, something happens, they don't get to do what they want to do, or, you know, it's crowded because of the time of the year, whatever. There's perhaps some regret there, but that regret can then feed back into her decision-making process. The next time I say, well, maybe I do need to consider the time of year that I'm going and the crowds that might be there or whatever, 
So regret can be a useful tool in helping us understand why we made the choice we made and then how we might make a different choice later. Absolutely. And then it it also comes down to the mistakes we make, right? Right. So when, when we often regret mistakes because we see them as a bad thing, but if we can learn from those mistakes, Mm then we have a greater ability to grow and progress as people. But what I find really interesting with that is that sometimes the things that parents don't regret are the things that were a buildup of lots of smaller stuff mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. don't realize that they should, that they're more powerful regrets than we realize. For instance, like th- this makes me think about your, our physical autonomy, mm. you know, um, a lot of parents, and I know that this is just also part and parcel of the way that we are raised in certain societies and stuff. We're raised to give affection to our elders, you know, right. um, give affection to our grandparents, give affection to, you know, our loved ones around us. And the problem with that is the receiver of the affection is the only one really benefiting from that. Yes. If the, uh, if the giver of the affection doesn't want to participate. Right. So, you know, a very, you know, very simple thing is like you say, oh, kiss, you know, kiss your uncle goodbye, kiss your, you know, kiss your auntie goodbye, kiss your grandparents goodbye. And the child's like, I don't want to. And then, and then we like, we say, well, you have to, it's your grandparent, it's your uncle, it's your aunt, you know? Well, now if somebody was to walk up to me or you, Robert, Mm -hmm. and say, give me a kiss goodbye, give me a hug goodbye. uh, no, dude, I'm not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> like, you don't see this ring on my finger. Right. Or it's just like, even, even that it's like, it's like, just let's say you're just not in mood. Maybe you're just like feeling yicky and whatever. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to give you a hug, you know? Right, right. Um, but somebody forces that upon you. Well, that's a slippery slope, you know? And I, I hate to bring it into these, I hate to get dark, but I want parents to really think about what that slippery slope means, especially mm-hmm. when kids are young. Mm-hmm. Because if you're telling your kid, you know, oh, sit on sit on your uncle's lap, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, yeah, spend time with so-and-so. You know, you are taking the ownership of their bodily autonomy away from them. Yeah. You know, one thing that I learned from um, my son's pediatrician which I think I can share here is the way she so respectfully when he got to the age of two and we, um, we went for his physical exam, his yearly wellness checkup. And she didn't just start starting on checking him. She actually explained what she was going to be doing. So I'm your doctor. I'm going to be checking all your body parts. Your mommy is right here. Mm -hmm. She's seeing what I'm doing. If she feels uncomfortable about something or, you, you know, but this is my my job. This is what I have to do. I want to make sure everything's growing properly. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I actually ever experienced that with, with a pediatrician. Well, of course, you know, we didn't have a pediatrician previously. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't recall that with my pediatrician. I mean, I have vague recollections with my pediatrician, you know, but it was like, yeah, just submit to what the doctor's doing for you. To you. Right, right. You see and yeah. when you, somebody does that, when they take away that bodily autonomy, we then have a slippery slope into thinking, into questioning when our bodily autonomy is being usurped by somebody else. Is this right or not? Even if it feels really wrong, Mm -hmm. even if all of our instincts are screaming at us, children have good instincts. 
And even if they can't name it, right? Yeah, they just can't name it. Yes. It's one of the reasons why my son knows all his body parts. He is autonomous. You know, um, he knows his anatomy. He knows, even if sometimes he says some funny things, which is like, no, no, your testicles aren't there. You know, you know, like we do get into that, but it's like, but that's good because that means that we're not couching it in terms of making it too taboo. Yeah. When we when we create taboo around your your bodily autonomy, yeah. we also create the inability for people to speak what's happening to them, especially yeah. children. You know, so critical, and I, it relates also to the same dynamic comes in when we talk about our relationships and our autonomy in our relationships, and all of us could probably name at least one person that we know that is. You know, a sequence of relationships where the person moves from relationship to relationship to relationship because mm -hmm. they themselves don't feel complete. Yeah. And they're looking for that completeness. And that, that's that line. And, and <laughs> besides show me the money, the other line that comes up is you And it's, you know, when you think about it, like it's in the movie, it's when it's, Oh my gosh, such a sweet moment kind of thing. But if you step back and think about that line for just a second, if we need somebody else to complete us, we're not autonomous. Mm -hmm. and, and it's and it's okay to be related. You will, and we'll talk about that in a different one in terms of relationship or connection. But if you don't feel like you have the ability to decide, or you yeah. don't feel like you have the ability to control, and you need someone else in your relationship life to do that for you, then you're missing autonomy. And mm -hmm. how do you get there? All of the subtle little things that build up over time. Yeah. Why is your brain in a certain way? So it's not that it, it seems perfectly natural. Yeah. Yeah. To move from relationship to relationship and seek something that you think you want or you think you need or you think you have to have because you don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I that makes me think about like, and this this goes to such a broader issue of you know like the the small the small things we do as parents. Mm -hmm. Our children are watching those things, right? Oh, so if we make a mistake and we don't own it in front of our kids, they won't understand that it's a mistake, and they may follow a bad pattern because we've set that pattern up. We wonder oftentimes why, you know, um, somebody might get into a, a bad relationship and then they're trying to tell their child, don't do what I did. And their child is doing what they did. Mm -hmm. It's because you're telling them, but you're not showing them. Right. And I will tell you this, kids follow what you show them much more than they ever follow what you tell them. Yeah. So if you say, if you're stuck on your phone, like a phone addict and you're doing this mm -hmm. and then you tell your kid, don't, don't do what I'm doing. <laughs> your kid's like, but you do it. And guess what guys, that has to do with autonomy too. Yeah. Like, absolutely. If you get to make a decision for what you're doing for yourself and then you tell your child not to, you know, you're setting an example that you're telling them that other people get to do different things than us. And we have each, we, we have different parameters for everybody and there's no equality in that relate in that way. And therefore we get to control what you do. We're your parents. We get to tell you what to do right. because simply by ownership of being in the role as your parent, right. but you don't own your kids. 
they are not living what? your life. What? I know, crazy concept, right? I wish I'd known that. I know, right? So <laughs> I think of everything else we can say is yeah. recognizing your kids' autonomy means recognizing that they are not living your life over again. Yeah. They, this is not your do-over chance. They're not going to do the job that the dream job you wanted. You know, my mom wanted to be an actor, an actress when she was younger and stuff. And of course, her parents coming from the Depression era were like, yeah, the only things you get to do are either uh, you could be a teacher, a nurse or a secretary. That's what you get. Yes. Okay. And it was so, you know, and she hated that. She wanted to be an actress. So there was a time where she dabbled in that in such a great way. And she was a great actress. She did a lot of community theater and she did a lot of stuff like that. And mm -hmm. when she saw that I had some musical talent and acting talent and all that stuff, she really encouraged it. Yeah. But I will tell you this. She left me alone. She was disappointed and I knew she was disappointed. But when I finally, when I made the decision not to accept um, the, not to accept getting into this awesome prestigious music program that I was accepted to. I went, mm -hmm. we drove all the way up there uh, to, to Maine, to University of Maine, and I auditioned for their music department. And she was so thrilled when I got accepted. And and then I, I decided not to do it. Mm -hmm. And I knew she was disappointed, but she also didn't tell me I had to do it. Yeah. So I still lived and did my made my own choices despite her disappointment because she understood that where her parents really forced her hand and told mm -hmm. her she didn't have a choice she got that ultimately at the end of the day it was my choice that's it great yeah. my choice and that means i get to follow my path my desire my purpose it may have taken me a really long time to get here that's okay, but, good. But that's okay right right I think it's really about the journey to your purpose and recognizing that your parents don't have control over that. Right. And your as you guys, as parents, mm -hmm. please, if there's one thing you could take away, mm -hmm. what's the worst that could happen? Yes, the worst that could happen is they might hurt themselves. But as long as they're not following a path that ultimately hurts them or hurts somebody else, mm -hmm. you don't get to control what they mm -hmm. do. You can hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Yeah. You know? And you get to recognize that they get to be who they want to be. And when they do that, they can live a life true to themselves and they can pick the right relationships. Mm -hmm. They may have a circle. What's the word I'm looking at? Like a little uh, circle to the. They may weave off the path. Yeah, quite a bit, yeah exactly. Right? <laughs> but eventually they'll get there. Yeah, they'll get there. And I, and I think that. As, I, as I'm hearing this conversation kind of unfold, it strikes me at this stage of my life that perhaps the there's no bigger regret in one's life than getting to the stage where you've lived your life trying to not feel regret. Mm. If you've lived your life always trying to never get to that point where you've regretted a decision or you, 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 you made a mistake and you just, you know, beat yourself. You will get to a point in your life where that is, will become your biggest regret. Like it's, yeah. it's one of those, like, not, I don't know, self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know what the phrase I'm looking for, but the point is that you, you have to name it, I think, 
And I think that's what we're trying to help people do. That's what we're trying to do for ourselves. Name your fear, yeah. name your concerns, think about what you're doing, reflect on it, and then just try to make the wisest choice, realizing that guess what? You're going to make a mistake. Right. It is not all going to work out like yes. a Hallmark Christmas movie. It just never <laughs> does. Right. <laughs> and I, I want to put a cap on that with this one thing, too. We're not saying let your kids run free and wild <laughs> when they're little. This is true. As an adult, you have experience and knowledge and wisdom to impart yes. upon your children. That's important. And when they're young, you know, you've got to lead with that. You have to lead by example. Yep. You have to show them where you've made mistakes. You also have to share all of that with them. And you have to help guide them when they're little because they have no knowledge of experience, right? Oh gosh, so if yes. my mom wants to run, <laughs> if my kid, sorry, my mom, I said my mom, I don't know why I said my mom, but my kid, if my kid wants to run in the street by himself, you know, at this point, he's still too little, you know, yeah. and he doesn't understand the parameters of the safety net that need to be around him yet. So I have to, it's my responsibility to keep reminding him of the parameters that circ you know, circle that. So right. if we go to a park, he knows, you know, we stay in the park. We don't run into the parking lot. We stay in the park. And then he gets to run around the park freely with the understanding that there's a safety net around him. Mm -hmm. And having a safety net means you actually get greater ability on your autonomy because you get to explore within the realm of a safety a safety net, you know. Mm -hmm. So that that means, you know, no, you don't get to drive on the on the highway at, you know, whatever speed you'd like. Right. You don't get to um, walk up to somebody and slap them in the face. You don't get to um, to hurt yourself or harm your. You know, you shouldn't be hurting yourself or harming yourself because there are severe consequences to that. Yeah. And we yeah. need to talk about why what's going on with that. Right. But so the choices you make when you're a little kid, yes, they have to be safeguarded by some of the, by the experience and knowledge and awareness, greater awareness that an adult has. What we're saying is that it's it's every step you take along the way with balance, with mm -hmm. the understanding of that you're getting to a place where they're going to be completely in their own self-control, completely mm -hmm. autonomous and independent from you. But you, of course, with having greater knowledge, are the guidance that they need. You are like the shepherd, you know. Um, you are like the the shepherd her, with it, and with that understanding that this area is dangerous, and so I need to give you the knowledge that this is dangerous. I need to help you understand. It may not be the safe time to go visit XYZ country because these are the dangers of XYZ country. Um, have you thought about that? And, you know, having that conversation with your children as they're older. Um, you know, when I drove across the country by myself, <laughs> my mom was, of course, extremely afraid. Oof. But that's the thing. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Giving the balance with the greater awareness that we have that yeah. our children are independent from us and autonomous yeah. with that choice. Yeah. Absolutely. And recognizing that as they get older, you just, it's just a level of influence changes. Yeah. Right? You, you still can have a say, but they still make the choice at the end of the day. So. And on that note, <laughs> we shall say happy parenting to all of you and uh, may the evolution of your parenting skills be in your favor.
Absolutely. Thank you, listeners, for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you next time.